if you didn't watch Doctor Who, I'd strongly encourage you. Get on the iPlayer. Fantastic episode. Genuinely was brilliant. I let my kids watch it for the first time. I think it took them a while to catch up with what's going on, with multiple storylines going on at one point. And I'm thinking, I feel confused. I don't know where you're at. Um, so we're continuing to debrief what on earth was happening. But for those of us who are regulars around, you know we're looking at this uh, book uh, written by uh, Jesus' brother called James, uh, which is funny enough, entitled James. And we're looking at it under the title of Living Faith, where what we're understanding week on week is James is writing to us as believers of Jesus, those who've said that we want our lives to be centered in and around him, and showing that actually, therefore, our faith is in one who is living, who isn't just an idol, isn't just a statue, but is one who is alive, a living God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. But as such, because we've got this faith in this living God, actually needs to understand that that faith will then work itself out in our lives as we live them out together and also individually in the settings that we've been placed. And so week on week, we're kind of exploring what is it that James is encouraging us in, in respect to living out our faith in this living God. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn straight to the next part, which is uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read through to chapter 5, verse 6. This is what James writes, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire and battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? For he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges it, or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one law giver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And it is you, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen. You rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, 
The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. If we can keep this last bit up for a minute. When I knew I was going to get to speak on this bit, I thought, man, this is, each week has been relatively heavy. You kind of come in thinking, this is James kind of hitting us hard. And then you get to him speaking here and you think, this isn't him speaking to any bunch of people. This is him speaking to the different church communities in kind of the first century that are around. And he's writing a letter to them to encourage them. And you just think, man, this guy is like writing quite harshly. And you hear all that's been said, and there's lots of mentions of fire and sin and evil and the devil, and you think, wow, this, this is pretty hard. You know, we've come from this point of kind of applauding who Jesus is in worship, of getting to that point of saying, man, when we see who you are, Jesus, we're just filled with joy. And I bring us straight back down to earth by reading out a bit from James. Now, in it, I want us to explore this a bit. But before we get there, I just want to make a quick observation in terms of this last bit, his instructions to the wealthy. Now, at this point, if you're sat here and you're thinking, man, I, I know I'm quite wealthy. To be honest, if we're in the Western world, we are wealthy. <laughs> Let's be in reality. But actually, at this point, what we've got to understand is James isn't writing here to believers. He's actually writing at this point when he's... Uh, instructing and kind of calling out what's going to happen to the wealthy. He's, he's speaking like an Old Testament prophet. And in the Old Testament, what you found is that, that men would be raised up and would speak out against injustice. And often they would say things about that injustice and how God saw it, not addressing those that were committing the injustice. It was rather to give hope to the hearers. It's rather to say, actually, though you know this is happening to you, God isn't death to it happening. He isn't like overlooking it. He's heard and seen what's going on and God will act. And in this bit where it can seem quite hard to hear how James is speaking about the wealthy, actually he's trying to bring hope to the believers that are hearing read out his letter. See, for many of them, they were for, from poverty backgrounds. For many of them, they were workers of others. And as workers of others, they were often being paid by someone who was often withdrawing that payment, would often kind of say, well, you can go and harvest for me, but I'm not going to pay your wage until you get to the end of the job, until you've harvested everything. And this was a culture where literally what you earn is what paid for the food the next day. And so for many of them who were in the churches, they were at a point where they just think, it just isn't right how I'm treated. And James says, look, you need to understand that God sees this. And actually, where there's an injustice, where people aren't being paid for what they've done, where others are kind of benefiting by frauding others of the money owed, where others are kind of saying, actually, we're just going to keep all the money for ourselves. We're going to live in total luxury. Actually, that doesn't go unnoticed by God. People will be held to account with what they've done, with what they've got. And so it's kind of a moment that we can hear and say, man, that's, that's pretty heavy. And it is quite heavy. And as we're going to go on to see, actually, it's quite heavy that allows us as followers of Jesus to actually say, how does this then permeate my life? This isn't a judgment of my life. 
but how's it going to change how I act? also allows us to live on this planet knowing that actually still injustice goes on. Still people benefit from others' poverty. And we have to still come to these points and say, God doesn't stay silent. God notices. And everyone one day will be held in account. But that isn't what I want to talk about this morning. Rather, I want to use this passage because what we find is actually that, that James actually highlights three different areas. He talks about how we treat other people. He talks about um, our future and our future plans. And then he talks about wealth. And in it, what he's doing is he's actually saying, under this guise of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, one who said, actually, at the center of my life is who Jesus is, who God is, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And actually, I'm going to cause my whole life to revolve around him. My trust is in him for everything. It's saying that actually as we've lived that way, we need to ensure that as we live out our life, we continue to see that God is at the center. That God is at the center in how I treat others. That God is at the center in in how I look to my future. That God is at the center in how I use the wealth that I have. And if you like, what we're going to discover is these three themes. And why I wanted to read it all in one go today, because I think it's going to have a an apt outworking for us in our culture, are connected by a question. A question that we could change slightly that, that isn't about what's at the center, but rather who is on the throne. Who's on the throne of our lives? How does how we treat others, how does how we look to our future, how does how we deal with what we've got reveal Who's on the throne of our life? Who is it that is the one that's governing how we respond? Who is it that's the one who's, uh, that has got control? That actually everything else falls in line by the one that is on the throne. And, and James says, is it, is it us? Is it me? Is it you as an individual? Or is it God? Because actually, whoever's on the throne is going to impact how we live out in these three areas. Now, in it, we could look at it, and there's so much, as always, with James that we could look at and say, oh, that, that can examine in that way, that can examine in that way. I want to take a broader brushstroke, because I believe that in us understanding this question of who's on the throne, and how does it impact how we treat others, how does it impact how we treat our future, and how does it tr- impact how we treat our wealth, our accumulation, our possessions, actually is something that we need to take careful consideration of because of the culture that we live in. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of start off by, by looking at the throne and saying, well, James kind of outworks it and says, writing to the churches. And because James doesn't kind of dull things down, he never kind of says, oh, this might be the case. He kind of says, this is. Why is it you do this? I want to look at it, what it looks like. That Though we're those that, remember, sorry, it's a quick pause moment. We need to remember in this that James is writing to believers. Those that have said that actually the, the throne of my life is God. And yet he's saying, but, but is he? Has it come to a point where sometimes we nudge him off the throne and we say, do you know what? I'm going I'm to take a moment here. You can, you can take it easy, God, for a moment because actually I think I can take over. Now, as we're going to see, that, that just sounds crazy, doesn't it? That those of us who've said, hey, God is at the center of everything. God is the one at the throne. And yet there's moments in our lives when we say, actually, You get off for a moment. I can take it from here. It sounds crazy. But I want us to see, because I can see it in my own heart, is that sometimes it's exactly how we live. 
But for us to understand that, we need to look at, well, why is there the potential of us doing that? And I think there is the potential because of the culture we live at. So we have to start off with the throne. That Who's on the throne? Well, it's me, myself, and I. See, in the culture, and we will get back to look at the Bible, but we need to understand the uniqueness of the culture we live in. You see, we live in the 21st century. That's groundbreaking stuff. That, that we're living now. And as such, because we live in the Western world, there's a way that all of us have been brought up to think and to act. A way that's been brought up to think and act that actually involves everything in how we make decisions, how we uh, vote for parliament, how we um, seek to pursue careers, how we uh, deal with all our possessions, how we treat other people, that actually has come from a young age that we've been instructed to think through a way. It's a, a way of thinking that hasn't just evolved overnight. It didn't happen in the 70s. It didn't happen in the turn of the millennia where suddenly someone said, hey, I've got this brave new way of we could live. Well, we're going to all live with individualism. Actually, it's something that's taken over a hundred years to start to mold who we are as a culture. We find through the Victorian era where there was this pursuit of understanding that actually maybe mankind could, could achieve way more than we could have ever imagined. The Industrial Revolution proved it. And we can carve up everything, we could produce anything. But within it, within that Victorian era, there became this dilemma of a want to say, man, mankind is able to do everything, but this kind of coupling with this kind of code, this moral code that had been inherited from generation to generation that said, maybe there's something bigger than us. And maybe that then has a boundary on how we can live. But as there became this understanding that actually maybe mankind can achieve so much, there became a questioning of what about these boundaries? And so the children of the Victorian started to say, well, hey, maybe, maybe actually that's what's constraining us. Maybe for us to fully get to the point of who we can truly be, we need to get rid of the boundaries. As you've got philosophers who came through who started to say, maybe there's a different way to think. Probably one of the most influential niches kind of gets to this point and says, what about if we say there is no God? What about if we say that actually life is just, it's kind of nothingness? Actually, there isn't any parameters. It's just what you can make of it. And then others start to build from that point and say, actually, yeah, maybe we've achieved so much, but we're limited by all of these other factors, that, these moral codes that actually are pushed on us. And actually, what we need to do is, is change what it all looks like and say maybe that on the throne of who we are, as a society, is I. That all of it is about the individual. That all of it about is who I am. The pursuit of my identity, of understanding that I can be whoever I want to be. And I get to use my life to discover who I can be. That it's all about my satisfaction, all about my Happiness is all about my freedom. And therefore, who is anyone else to say what my happiness can look like, what my freedom can be, what can truly satisfy me? Because the one on the throne is me. And the one on the throne for you is you. And that will determine 
everything. And so what happens there is then culture starts to build from that point. It says, well, if we're on the throne, then actually we need to understand this changes everything. It changes the, the fact of how we can relate to one another. So suddenly, actually, we need to understand that, that actually there aren't any ultimate truths anymore. Actually, we, we can't say that one person can proclaim that one thing is true for everyone. Actually, no, if, 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 if I, if the individual is on the throne, then actually what's true for them might not be true for me because I've got a different throne. And so what we find out is a word that's used, pluralism. So pluralism comes in and says, actually, is there isn't any ultimate truth. Truth is individual. We then find, but actually, who am I then? If they're on their throne and they want to make a decision that shapes their life, who am I to judge that decision? But I'm on my throne. I'm going to make my decisions how I want to make them. And I'm not going to expect anyone else to question the decisions I make because surely it's all about me, just as their life is all about them. And what we have is this term that's used of relativism, that, that actually any decision-making, the judgment of that decision is relative to the individuals involved and impacted by that decision. And we're still trying to work that one through as a society. We're still trying to work it through in terms of ethics. Of what does that mean then, in terms of life and death? And it becomes harder and harder to answer as we say, but the individual's on the throne. And then we find that life doesn't just alter in terms of there is no truth, ultimately. Decisions are relative. We also find that actually because I, you, are on the throne... Actually, life just becomes about what I can consume. Everything we're about is what we can gain. And so we see the rise of consumerism. And you know what? The moment you can start be thinking, man, you must be really down on society. No, I quite like living in this country. I just think we have to understand what it means to live out our faith in the society and the culture we're in. Jesus told us to do that. And you see, the thing is, the people who understand who's on the throne better than anyone else in this room, better than anyone in university uh, lecturing on it, are advertisers. Advertisers understand who's on the throne, and so they continuously throw out anything and everything in terms of statements to appeal to us being on the throne. Man, whether it's burgers, so you find that Burger King say, you can have your burger your way. We're just talking about burger. Just go in and get one. No, no, it's your way. It's not our way, it's your way. You find, man, don't just wash your hair. Use L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Not like generally everyone is. Not just, oh, that model's got her hair washed, look how glossy it is. And you could be as worthy as her. No, 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 it's nothing to do with her. It's just that actually, just as she's worth it, you're worth it. Man, why are you going to Audi buying a shampoo when you're worth L'Oreal? And then we find that, and this is no diss of this product, and so please do hear that, please hear it, anyone on advertising agencies um, hearing me on this. Then we get one company that goes from a nothingness of the 90s and gets hold of what's about to kick in in the millennium, in the 21st century. A company that I can promise you most people in this room are impacted by, and that's Apple. Apple understand who's on the throne. They understand it so much that they actually don't even bother calling their products anything apart from I and then what it is. <laughs> Man, 
how good did Steve Jobs know our culture? That he could get to this point and say, how can I appeal to everyone on their throne? I know. I won't give them my mobile phone. I won't give them my pod. I won't give them whatever a pod is. I'm not going to give them a pod. I'm not going to give them a pad. I'm not going to give them anything apart from what's theirs. Their phone. Now, that doesn't work, though, does it? It's iPhone. And suddenly we find that it's there. And it becomes the must-have. Man, you haven't got an Apple thing? <laughs> so, like, where are you at? <laughs> and it's not white? <laughs> because somewhere along the line, these guys understood the culture we're in. And if we're not careful, we don't. Because actually, we've been brought up in. We've been brought to think through that actually the one who's on the throne is me, is you. And James understands that. Man, we're talking about the first century talking into us. We think, oh, this is new. There's these new ways of thinking. You know, Nietzsche wasn't around there. People didn't understand. People don't understand the development we've got. And yet God in his wisdom actually says, you know what? There is nothing new under the sun. Ultimately, what we're talking about is what mankind has always had a problem with. And that's in thinking that the universe revolves around them. So we find that James says, actually, you need to understand that even when you've got to the point of saying, actually, I'm not going to be on the phone, throne, not the phone, you can be on the phone, I'm not going to be on the throne, I'm going to come away from that. I'm going to say that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are going to be on the throne. And everything I do, I'm going to just revolve around it. That James understands that because of how we're wired, because of how we've been made to, to think, because of the world that we live in, because of the influences that are going to be coming, that from time to time, we're going to be tempted. From time to time, we're going to find ourselves back on the throne, saying, I'll take it from here. And so James says, here's three areas that you need to watch. Because how you're doing on these will show who's on the throne. And it might not be all the time, but it might be just sometimes. So he starts off and he says, it's about how you treat others. And so in verse 12, it says this, who are you to judge your neighbor? We're going to come on in a moment to see why James shows that this is all about us on the throne, why it makes no sense. But ultimately, what it's saying is that when I get to take my seat back on the throne, I start to make a judgment call of other people because I suddenly start to say, actually, who I am, how right I am, I'm able to judge how wrong others are. And basically, that works itself out in two ways, in terms of my own self-rightness. I either can judge people because of their intolerance. In other words, I can look at other people and I can say, man, they just seem to be living with rules and regulations. They seem to continuously point out what's faulty in other people's lives. We use a word to describe it in our culture. We say they're, they're very conservative. And for some of us, we sing and think, so I'm not judging you at this point, because <laughs> I do it. And you sing and you think, oh, yeah, who are they? How limited are they? They live like that, judging others, not being very tolerant. So we find there's people who say, I, I, I'm right because I'm not like them. But then we find that there's the times where we say, actually, I'm right because I'm not tolerant. And how liberal are they? They just seem to not bat an eyelid to doing anything. 
But why is it they're always around those sort of people? And we find that we start to sit back on the throne by us judging how others are living, whether it's in their tolerance or intolerance. Maybe it's that we start to judge others by we start to think, are they someone I can gain something from? What am I going to gain in this relationship? And James says, man, when you're acting like that, you've started to take the throne back. Others. Second one, future. James says this, verse 13, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend the year there, carry on business and make money. See, there comes a moment in life where we say, actually, do you know what? I've said that, God, you're at the center of everything. You're on the throne. And then I start to think through my life. Man, I might have, I'm 39. I don't know, maybe I've got 30 years. My wife often looks at me at that point and goes, I don't think so the way you're living. Um, LAUGHTER Let's, let's, let's kind of get out there and say maybe 30 years. And I think, oh, 30 years. And I'm, I, I think, Matt, what am I going to do then with those 30 years? How's it going to look? I tell you what, I might go and live. Where have I always wanted to live? I, I'm going to go and live there. Actually, where I'm going to go and live there is because I want to do this. See, there gets a point where suddenly, without knowing it, when we start to think of our future, we say, oh, yeah, God, you are on the phone, but I'll kind of take it from here because I want my future to look like this. Actually, it's about where I want to be. It's about where, what I want to do. It's about my agenda. And actually, it's about what I could gain through my agenda. See, at this point, James is actually talking to local business guys. He's saying, how are you going to do your business? Is it about like, how you're going to make your money? Is it going to be about what town, city you're going to go to? James says, have we come back on the throne are we thinking through, man, I just need to get this degree. And once I've got my degree, I can then do that. And then after I've done that, I'm going to do this. Maybe we've got to this point. So once I get to this stage of life, it's going to be okay. So I need to do everything to get to that stage of life. Maybe it's that I think, actually, you know what? I've always wanted to go there. Therefore, I'm just going to go there. I don't know why, but I just want to go there. <coughs> Have we started to sit back on the throne in terms of our future? Third area, wealth. James doesn't pull any punches when it comes to money. It's hard hearing. It says this, verse 3, then verse 5. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. See, when we, in terms of our money and possessions, start to take the throne back, is when we get to that point and say, actually, you know what? What I've got, I want to hoard. I want to get as much as I can of stuff. I want to get as much as I can of money. And what we find is as we start to be in that place, suddenly our security starts to lie there. Or maybe it's not money and bank balances and stuff. Maybe it's just comfort. And we suddenly start to say, actually, I kind of deserve this. If you know how I live, of course, I kind of deserve an Xbox One. I know I've got the Xbox 360. I know I've got a PlayStation 3, but I kind of need the Xbox One. Actually, more than that, I need a, a PlayStation 4 as well. Now, I'm not judging anyone in that position. I'd love to come around and play them. Um, <laughs> but we get to this point of just saying, actually, maybe I deserve this. Maybe, actually, life should be a bit more comfortable than it is. And suddenly, so we find ourselves saying, actually, it's not just comfort. I want luxury. And we're the ones determining. And James says, man, when that's happening, don't you understand what's going on? You've taken the throne. When you start to think about how you're treating others, when you start to think about how you're looking at your future, when you start to think about how you're dealing with your wealth, your possessions, it causes a moment to say, are you on the throne 
or is God? And you know what James does? James does this moment of just saying, hey, I'm going to bring reality. I'm going to give you a remedy to ensure that you don't take this seat. I'm going to remind you who you are. James says this, what is your life? <laughs> Lucy's like totally thinking, I haven't, been, I haven't been around us for three weeks, I've been busy doing my English, and now I've come back and you've just chucked a load of smoke in my face. Um, it's great having you here. Um, verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, can you see it? James says, I'm going to earth it. I'm going to take a reality check about what it means and what it looks like when you take the throne. And I'm going to do that by reminding you who you are. Man, no, no, I know who I am. I'm worth it. <laughs> no, no, no. Who you are is like mist, like a vapor. It takes us by surprise for a moment but is there but just for a moment, disperses and is gone. Is temporary. Is insubstantial. James says, that's what you like. Do you understand, in understanding that you're like mist, that you're like vapor, just temporary, what it looks like when you're one who says, actually, I get to judge others. It's basically where you get on the throne and you say, do you know what, God, I'll take it from here. I know you think that you can judge, but I can. James says, who are you to think you are God? He says, in terms of future, you say, man, tomorrow I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to that city. I'm going to earn that money. He says, who are you to think that? You are just a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Man, you can't even, this is how James puts it, I'm kind of paraphrasing in Adrian Hurst's version. He says, you can't even say for sure what you're doing tomorrow, let alone the next year. Can I put it a step further? We can't even guarantee this afternoon. James says, you're temporary. And it earths us. And he says, wealth. And you can have the biggest bank balance you want. You can have as much luxury as you've got, but it's temporary. In face of who God is, eternal, actually it's just there for a, a splitting moment. That the moment of pleasure now will pale into insignificance in eternity. The bank balance you have now will mean nothing in eternity. James takes it a step further. He says, man, you might have loads of gold and silver. It's just going to corrode. It's nice, isn't it? Man, you might have loads of really good clothes. Moths are just going to eat them. James is saying, do you know what? When you take up the throne, you forget who you are. You forget that you're just fragile. You forget that actually it makes no sense who we are to be on that throne. Therefore, James says, in light of who we are, in light of a vapor of mist, let's not get on the throne. Let's rather humble ourselves 
before the one who truly deserves to be on the throne. See, this is what he says. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Basically, that word save and destroy basically means to give life or to give death. That ultimately, God is the one who's eternal. God is the one who always is and always will be. God is the one who's able to say, this brings life, this brings death. God is the one who truly, out of his own rightness, can judge anyone. And James says, do you know what? In a society which says there are no absolutes, there is one. There is a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, who is eternal, who always has been. However much you seek to display and understand the universe and its creation and its ending point, actually there's one who was there because he's always been. And it blows our minds because we're a time frame people. We think, what does it look like for someone to always be? And yet he was. And when we realize who we are as vapor, as mist, and we realize who he is as eternal, of one who truly is right, one who's truly able to judge, one who truly can say, this is, brings life, this brings death, because I'm not defined. Because I am life. And I've always been. We suddenly realize that it's him who deserves to be on the throne. It's James's point of saying that actually as we live, those moments where they come and think because of our cultural setting, we think actually, yeah, maybe I should get back on. We get to this point and say, actually, I never deserve to ever be on there. Because in light of who I am, I realize that actually there is one greater than me who always deserves to be on it. That we want to be those that continuously live saying, God, you are on the throne. And James says, how we do it is like this. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Promises this, that whenever we get those points where we say, I'll take it from here. And then we realize how stupid that sounds. We come back off and we just say, God, it's all yours. God never gets to a point of saying, no, 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 no. You had your chance. I'm not coming back on the throne and yours. No, says, no, no. As we step off and say, no, it's yours, God. As we draw near to God, as we say, God, this is yours. God will always say, thank you. Now receive what I have for you because I want to draw close to you. I want to draw close to you in my unconditional love and mercy. That's what God is always going to do. It's what God's always going to do is he comes and takes up his throne in our life. It's going to be one who continuously, as we draw back to him, says, actually, I'm here for you. And then verse 6 is what James points to. He says, actually, how's God going to respond? Well, he's going to give us more grace. That grace that Rod prayed out for us. And about us, that grace that says we get something we never deserved, never earn. God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And God comes and takes the throne in our lives and says, this is how I want your life to be revealed. This is what I want to be at the center of your life. My love, unconditional. My acceptance, unconditional. My forgiveness, unconditional. You get to live with him on and the thing is, when he is on the throne like that, it impacts everything. It suddenly means that how we treat others is we, we do what he commanded. We don't become the judge and say, I know you said, God, love all people as I love myself, but actually I'm not going to do that. Actually, we say, no, because God of your love for me, I want to live as you want me to live. And I know that how you want me to live is for my best. And therefore, as you've loved me, I'm going to love all. 
And so in my day-to-day existence, I want to live with you on the throne, which means that every interaction I have, I want to be thinking, what does it mean for me to love this person? That in every interaction, rather than me thinking, what can I gain from this? I'm going to even continuously be thinking, what can I serve this person in? Rather than what can I gain from this person? That with God on the throne, it therefore means that in respect to our future, it never becomes a moment of us saying, this is what I'm going to do. It becomes a moment where we say, God, with you at the center, what's my life going to look like? It doesn't mean that we become some sort of nutcases that like, kind of wake up in the morning and say, God, should I get my socks on today? Now, there's common sense as well. So we, we do get dressed, because generally that's not a good start if you go out of the house not dressed. But within it, as we're going on with our existence, that what we're saying is, God, what does it mean for you to be at the center of my life? What does it mean for you to be on the throne as I live out my life? That as I start to think through my degree, as I start to think through post my degree, I start to say, God, what does it look like for you to be at the center of that? As I think through my career, I'm not thinking, how do I get promotion? I mean, God, what does it mean for you to be at the center here? That as I'm looking at how I raise my children, as I look at what it looks like for my recovery, I'm thinking, what does it mean, God, for you to be at the center here? Do you know what God always says? means that you live knowing my love and my security. And then you live out adding my color and flavor in the world. That's in broad brushstroke terms. You then work it out. So you say it's God's centered, but it also means that we live thankfully. It means that as we live our lives, we're not, we're not thinking, man, I've got this afternoon. We're rather thinking, man, it's amazing I've got this afternoon. It's amazing I've got tomorrow. Not in some kind of doom mentality of, oh, there but the will of Lord. It's not that. It's like a deep sense of joy. This is actually, because of you, God, I'm able to be alive now. That tomorrow morning when we wake up, we don't think, oh, Monday. We think, Monday! I'm alive! This is a miracle. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to me. I thank you that you've given me another day that I get to reveal and understand something more about you. I tell you what, that will groundbreakingly change your Mondays forever. And you know what? It's, it's not true just for Monday. We then on Tuesday, we wake up and go, whoa, this is amazing. Wednesday, same thing. I tell you what, if we do a week of that, I wonder what we'll look like next Sunday. <laughs> but we'll be combusting. <laughs> or we'll be bored. No, but let's be thankful then in terms of our wealth. With God at the center, it isn't that God is anti us having money. It's rather that God says, with what you've got, how are you going to use it? Is our security in it? Or is our security in him? Because if our security is in him, we then say, with what I've got, God, what would you have me do? And I think for us in the Western world, and we haven't got time to, to look at this, but I want to leave us with a bit of a challenge though for some of us, life is exceptionally hard. I'm not questioning that. The standard of living has gone way high. Salaries aren't there if we're earning a salary. And so I understand that gap is increasing. And I understand there is a need for food banks. We need to take care of people in this nation. I totally understand that. But in terms of the world, who most of us are, are amongst the most wealthy. And therefore, we have to just ask ourselves questions of what we started to see as normal is it? And what does it mean for God to be at the center of our wealth and with what God has given us? 
And I don't say that in judgment to you, I say in judgment of myself. As this is a thing I'm wrestling through in my heart at the moment. But the question we are all left with is this. Who's on the throne? Is it God? Or is it us? Let's stand. Just where you're at, I just want us to close our eyes. As Gus said, we don't do this for some sort of mystical reason. It's just literally so we don't get distracted by other people, other things going on. And just with our eyes closed, I just want us to ponder that question. Who's on the throne of my life? Is it us? Sometimes. Is it us more of the time at the moment, or is it God? And depending on the answers to that, for some of us, it's that, God, we say we're thankful that you're on the throne. For others of us, it's that we say, God, I'm sorry. I've taken back what I'd given you, and that's crazy. Therefore, I repent. I say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I want to say, you are back on the throne. And whatever error it is. For a few of us, it's actually saying, God, I've never said you could be on the throne. And for us, maybe today is to say a moment to say, I want to explore what it looks like for you to be on the throne. And just before God, each of us responds. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us, <coughs> loves us with a relentless love, a love that will settle with nothing but our whole selves because you want our best. And God, I pray, would you cause us to live increasingly asking the question, who's on the throne? And I pray for those moments where we realize it's not you, God. I pray, would we make room quickly for you? I pray for those of us who increasingly say, yeah, I know it's you more, God. I pray we'd make more room for you. I pray we keep celebrating in who you are on the throne. And God, I pray for those of us who are exploring. I pray would you cause us to understand that this question is the most fundamentally life-changing question we could ever ask. And I pray would you give us courage to ask it. So God, I pray there wouldn't be condemnation this morning. I pray rather that Jesus, you come and bring freedom. Freedom to live a life with you on the throne. I really ask that, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're basically a little bit out of time, which is always the case, and I apologize for that. At some point, I need to deal with that myself, and you can slap me around and say, Agent, would you stop speaking longer than you should? Um, but if you've got children, please go and ask you to go and get them. If you haven't got children, obviously, the normal rule applies. Don't go and get them. Um, but if you would love to be prayed for, um, at the front here, there's going to be a number of people who are ready to pray for you. It might be in terms of something we've spoken about. It might be in terms of out the worship, that sense of just needing one to come and bring hope. Uh, and we'd love to pray for you. There'll be a number of people at the front praying for you. Otherwise, the rest of us are going to turn and go that way, the backwards, and grab ourselves a tea and coffee so it isn't the people at the front on the show. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Cheers. <laughs>